0: In part three of his Treatise on the Basis of Morality, Arthur Schopenhauer is going to have a lengthy discussion of justice and thereby of injustice and their relation to compassion, but he's also going to go into some important clarificatory discussions as well. And one of these has to do with the nature of wrongs and rights in relation to justice and injustice. And this occurs fairly early on in the chapter number 17 on the virtue of justice. He tells us that Injustice or wrong always consists in injuring another, in doing some harm to them, right? So ungerechtigkeit, which is injustice, always involves harming another, another getting harmed. And he goes on and says the concept of wrong or literally unright, unrecht, right, is a positive one. It's one that we are presented with and can grasp in a positive manner. We we see injustice. We see wrong being committed. We experience it very often ourselves. And very interestingly, he says that it precedes the concept of right. It is antecedent to it. So logically, the concept of wrong is prior to that of right. By contrast, he tells us, the concept of right is negative. And this is a very important position that he's taking. Schopenhauer is, in effect, telling us that rights are defined by not being wrong rather than in a positive way themselves. So he tells us that right denotes merely those actions that can be done without injuries to others, that is, without wrong being done. And so there's really two important formulations going on right there, right? There's one that's about potential actions that can be done without injury to others. I mean, We could probably come up with some sort of crazy imagined example for any innocent activity and how it could involve harm to others. I'm walking down the street just whistling and I traumatize somebody who associates that whistling with something that happened to them in their past and they're triggered. Schopenhauer is not worried about things like that. He's worried about what is likely to produce harm. And then he says, without wrong being done, right? So not doing wrong involves the right. And he says, it's easy to see that two such, such actions also belong all those whose sole object, and that's very important, whose sole object is to ward off an attempted wrong. And he says, no participation in the interests of another, no sympathy for him can require me to let myself be injured by him. That is to say, to suffer wrong. So I I have a right to, you could say, establish and maintain limits. To say, no, I'm happy to help you out, but I'm not going to be forced into helping you out or preventing harm to you or, or things like that. And he'll talk about this a little bit more later on when he brings up what he calls a law of moral repercussion. He tells us that the pure understanding has ready to hand the principle causa causa est causa effectus, right? The cause of a cause is also the cause of, of its effect, which here says that the other man, not I, is the cause of whatever I must do to ward off the injury he intends to do me. And so I can resist all encroachments on his part without doing him any wrong. So if somebody wants to assault me, I have the right to use force. Or as he's going to say a little bit later on, if I have the right to use force, I also have the right to lie to him. A robber who says, what do you got in your wallet? I can say, it's empty. You know, I can also resist them with force. I have the right to do that. But in general, the concept of a right is going to be negative, right? Or include actions where we're, again, negating a wrong. And this leads us to what we can call the negative nature of justice. He says that the concept of right is negative in contrast to that of wrong, which is positive. We see this in all sorts of illustrations. And then he says, contrary to appearance, the negative nature of justice is established even in the trite definition, give to each his own. And he observes very rightly that give to each their own can't be something that you do in a completely negative way. If if you've already got people Getting what is their own, their property, their reputation, their honor, their freedom, their own bodies and things like that. Just keep your hands off of theirs. He says, if a man has his own, there's no need to give it to him. And so the meaning of give to everybody their own is really take from no one what is his own. And he says this demand of justice is merely negative and can be summed up with the harm or injure no one. Now, because it is negative, according to Schopenhauer, it can be enforced. You can tell people, hands off, and if you're going to do something positive that violates that, a unright or a wrong a instance of injustice, well then, it's easy to see and to identify and thereby to enforce, to punish. What is the way in which this happens? Here he goes into a bit of a discussion about the state, right? The, we could call this the political governance. But we might also think about this in many other ways. Can this be enforced within, say, the family? Can it be enforced within neighborhoods by a social sanction? Can this be enforced within what Schopenhauer would view as voluntary associations or institutions like academics or the corporate world? Probably Schopenhauer would be willing to go along with that. But here he says the compulsory institution is the state whose Sole purpose is to protect individuals from one another and the whole from external foes. And what we see here is Schopenhauer going into a bit of a digression or rant or a side about, you know, states these days. He's <laughs> sort of like an old guy who's complaining about kids these days. But his point is that states are overreaching in trying to make rights and the protection of rights something positive rather than something enforcing a negative. He says that, a few German philofasters of this mercenary age would like to distort the state into an institution for spreading morality, right? Spreading morality by saying you have to behave in moral ways rather than you have to not behave in immoral ways. You see the difference between the two of those? One is positive, one is negative, and edifying instruction. Right? Edifying instruction, upbuilding instruction that's going to make us into better people. And then he says, Here lurks in the background the Jesuitical purpose of doing away with personal freedom and individual development in order to make men into mere wheels of a Chinese machine of state and religion. And then he, you know, brings up inquisitions, autos de fe, and religious wars, being rather alarmist in that manner. But it's good to keep in mind that Schopenhauer is closer to those things in time than we are. And he sees that we see that With the exception of North America, he says, the state undertakes even the provision for the metaphysical needs of its members. Governments appear to have chosen as their principle this aphorism of... Quintius, Curtius. Nothing rules the masses so effectively as superstition. As a rule, they're unbridled, cruel, fickle, and irresolute. So as soon as they're caught by some delusion of religion, they prefer to obey their priests rather than their leaders. And and Schopenhauer is saying, "We, we should put that aside. That's not the way states should be behaving. If the goal is to Punish offenders who violate the rights of others, those rights being conceived in a negative rather than positive way. He comes back to talking about the origin of this understanding, and he tells us that once again, the concepts of right and wrong are positive and negative, and then he adds that they're independent of an a priori to legislation. Why is he making this point? Really two reasons. One is to suggest that against those who are what we call legal positivists or have a view on, we could say, the relation between legality and morality and political authority that says might makes right, Schopenhauer wants to reject that. He also wants to say that prior to, and therefore guiding legislation is some sort of, as he's going to call it, purely ethical or natural right. So what is the basis for this? He tells us that it involves a union of the empirical concept of wrongdoing. What does that mean? So we all get to Witness wrongdoing. Sometimes we do it ourselves. Sometimes we suffer it. We're all pretty familiar with injury, harm, humiliation. Pick whatever you want. And we have a conception of right as being opposite of that as, you know, what doesn't harm other people and uh, what wards off harm. So we've got an empirical concept on the one hand, something drawn from experience. And a rule of the pure understanding, he says. So we've got the empirical and the we could call it whatever we want conceptual the uh, the intellectual going on at the same time and coming together so he tells us that this gives rise to the fundamental concepts of wrong and right which everybody grasps a priori before having any particular experience and applies at once the instance of experience and then he says some people might say that this isn't really the case and they might point at what he calls the savages People who are considered to be more primitive. So, you know, at the time that he's writing, we might think about peoples of Africa or indigenous peoples in the Americas. And Schopenhauer says an empiricist who claims this just isn't a good empiricist. Just watch what happens when you deal with these people that you're calling primitives or savages. He says, this is obvious and they're bartering and other transactions with the crews of European ships. They're bold and full of confidence when right is on their side, when, they're, when they know in this a priori way that they're doing what's within their rights. They're not harming anybody. They're anxious and uneasy when it is not. In disputes, they approve of a just settlement. An unjust method drives them to... To war. So Schopenhauer is saying, listen, everybody across the world, in every culture, at every time is going to be able to get this on some fundamental level. You don't actually need some sort of teaching to get this started. It might be helpful for clarifying things, but This is prior to any sort of legislation or education. And then he talks about jurisprudence. Jurisprudence, the doctrine of right, he tells us, is a branch of morals which determines those actions we are not allowed to commit unless we intend to injure others. That is to do wrong. And he tells us morality has in view here the active part, the not doing wrong us as agents. Jurisprudence says you will not do this, kill your neighbor, for example, or rob them because you are thereby doing wrong to them. Right? And legislation, he says, takes this chapter of morality in order to use it with regard to the passive side to consider the same actions which no one need endure since no wrong should befall him. And he says against these actions, the state constructs the bulwark of the laws as positive right. Its intention for the state is that no one shall suffer wrong. Legislation is about that. Nobody should suffer wrong. Nobody should be harmed. Nobody should have their rights infringed upon. Right? and then he says "Whereas the intention of moral jurisprudence is that nobody should do wrong so we've got suffering on one side uh, being affected and then we've got doing and the wrong is in between and we've got jurisprudence and legislation so you can see here that Schopenhauer is engaged in a process of clarifying for us the readers just what wrong and right really mean